Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. All right, we're in Joshua chapter 3, and we're going to cover an entire three verses tonight, okay? And I'm going to go slow through Joshua because Joshua is a really good book. And I told you before that we're not going to cover every chapter in Joshua because it gets to the point where it's just a lot of this tribe and this tribe. And so we'll cover, we'll jump over spots like that. So don't worry, I'm going to allow you to go home and read all those chapters on your own and, and glean all you can. But today... Uh, we're going to, because it's, they're, they're now mounting their entrance into the promised land, uh, we're going to talk about God brings us out to bring us in, part one, okay? So, I want you to put yourself in their place because it really applies to our life at, at certain junctures, but they're here at the Jordan River, um, or they're getting there, but they're, they're close. And the Jordan River is going to be the big obstacle in the way for them to go in. And the Jordan River, I'll say it right now, then we'll show you later, it swelled up at this time. Now, unbelief will always play it safe and talk ourselves out of going forward. Agreed? Yeah? But faith will always tell us, hey, you know, if this is what God has for me, obstacle or not, you know, we got to go in and and we got to go get that. See, God brings us out to bring us in. God brought them out of Egypt to bring them in. He brought us out of darkness to bring us into light. So... I would look at it like this. In my salvation, God didn't bring me out just to put me on some shelf and not do something and not experience and not to go into something that God has for me. God brought me out to bring me in. And this happens and it reoccurs and it reoccurs and it reoccurs in our spiritual life if we're always progressing forth for God. Now, I want you to think about this case in point about going after it and going to get what God has for you. You all know King David, right? When he was a teenager, right? Some of you met him. We're old enough to know. No, I'm just joking. But, um, but David, is take, he goes to the front line. Dad tells him to take you know, the, um, the Jersey Mike sandwiches to his brothers or whatever to the front line there in the Valley Elah because they're going to fight. Their, he's thinking that they're fighting the Philistines. When he gets there, there is no fight going on. Instead, there's this rude, crude, giant guy by the name of Goliath and he's just verbally abusing the Israelites. And David gets there, and he's kind of in shock, like, what's going on here? And then he hears Goliath. He, uh, Goliath taunts the armies of the, quote, living God. And that's the worst thing that Goliath could have ever done, because now David heard Goliath say that. And David takes offense to that, that you're taunting the armies of the living God. And of course, David, he goes down to the, to the dried up river book, or the river book there in, in the Valley Elah, and he gets five smooth stones because, you know, there's not just one giant, there are five if you read into the Bible more and more. So in my mind, he's going to kill all five in his mind. So, and he's this gutsy guy. And he picks up the stones out of the riverbed and the, the water rushing over him. The rocks hit each other. And they're very smooth. And that's a great picture of how God smooths us out. Iron sharpens iron and fellowship and doing things. So God, you know, David, who's a picture of Jesus, the son of David. So Jesus can, can, can use us and we can hit targets in our life for the kingdom of God. Amen to that one? Now, so David gets out there and he's got the sling. And the Goliath taunts him and says, you come out with me with sticks and rocks. And, and so David, what does he do? He charges Goliath. You know, he's, he's not pulling back. Now, does he get within arm's reach where Goliath can grab him? No, there's wisdom there. 
Goliath is a giant. He's a big, big guy. David is like about a 17-year-old teenager. And he's not going to get one-on-one with Goliath. So he keeps a distance and he pulls his sling out. And And it is true that shepherds can hit you from a distance. They can hit their targets with the right stones. That's proven fact. And Goliath goes down and, 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 and of course, Israel is saved. And everybody gets gutsy and charges the Philistines because they run. But here's the point. David doesn't withdraw. There are all these soldiers, Israel soldiers, sitting on the sidelines, and all they can see is the giant, and they are, in unbelief, they are withdrawing. They're not going in. Even Saul, who is the tallest man in all of Israel, he's a giant, big guy himself, he won't even go. But David, in faith, says, how dare this uncircumcised Philistine taunt the armies of the living God? He charges forward, and he's going to go after it. See, faith says, I'm going to go get it. Unbelief says, no, I'm going to back off and I'm going to talk myself out of going after this. Now, I want you to think about this. For some of us, this happens to us in a recurring kind of uh, awake nightmare in our life. Question, how many days did uh, Goliath taunt the Israelites? Forty. Forty days he taunts them. How tall is Goliath? He's about nine foot seven. He's a big guy. Now, I got a question for you. He's nine foot seven, but after 40 days of taunting, how tall do you think he looks to those Israelites? He looks about 19 foot seven, because the longer you put off the thing you have to deal with, that obstacle in your life, what circumstance, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, either in your mind or in real life, in real time. So you always want to deal with things very quickly, if possible, because it just gets too big. But David, he has belief. And David, he's going to go after it. He's not going to play it safe. He's not going to back out. Now, here we go. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 1. And verse 1 says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan. And they lodged there before they crossed. Now, Little side note, Joshua gets up early. What does that tell us about Joshua? He's going to do what God says to do, and he's not a lazy guy. He's going to get up, and he's going to go do it. Joshua takes about 2 million people now from Shittim. It's 10 miles about from Shittim to the Jordan River where they're going to cross. He moves them 10 miles, 2 million people. That's a great leader to get them there. Bullet point, first one in your notes, and that's this. The closer we get to breakthrough, the greater the temptations. The closer we get to breakthrough, the greater the temptations. Now, Shittim. Shittim is a place, you can write down next to it, Numbers 25, if you want, you can go back and read it later. Shittim is the last stop before they cross into the promised land. Shittim is the place where it says in Numbers 25, something specific happened. The the daughters, the women, the Moabite women came out and they enticed and they tempted the men of Israel into sexual sin. And 24,000 Israeli men went into sexual sin there and also were led by these women into the false gods to worship false gods of the Moabites. 
Now, I want you to think about that. And because of that, 20, and God calls it a plague. The plague had to be stopped. 24,000 men died that day because of this. But think about all the interaction. Think about what it's really telling us. They're right there, guys. They're right at the promised land. They're right where God has them. This is yours. This is what I have for you. You've traveled this far. You waited this long. And right when they're there, Satan pulls out one of the biggest temptations imaginable for them. He pulls out sexual temptation, which also leads him into idolatry. And it's there that 24,000 of them never make it in to the very thing that they were marching toward, the very thing that God had for them. And that can happen to anybody. And, but understand, we have a real literal enemy that understands this spiritual realm and understands, and they've been watching us all our life. They know our weaknesses. They know what it's all about with us, and they're going to throw the greatest temptations at us the closer we get to whatever God has for us to try to trip us up. Now, verse 2. It came about at the end of three days <clears throat> that the officers went through the midst of the camp. Now, bullet point in your notes, and I want to say this here. Obstacles teach us dependence upon God. Obstacles teach us dependence upon God. They're going to sit there for three days, and they're going to stare at the Jordan River for three days. Okay, but what we haven't read yet, and we won't read about it till next week, but I want you just to see the verse, okay? Look at verse 15 of chapter 3 very quickly. And verse 15 says, And when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan, and the, and the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. So now we know at this time of year that they're there, the Jordan, it's springtime, we'll find that out later too, it's April. Um, the Jordan River, it's flood season. Now I've been there, some of you have been there, it's about, a, it's about 100 feet wide, the Jordan River. But I've also read from many teachers and scholars that in flood season, that Jordan River at that place can get to be a mile wide. There's that much water, there's that much flooding. So now they've come and they're standing there or sitting there for three days and they're staring at this rushing river that's now deeper and it's a mile wide. Now think about that. If you're sitting there for three days staring at that, this becomes the impossible obstacle, does it not? This becomes a thing like, I, I don't know how we're going to get across. I don't know how you're going to do this, God. But let me tell you what I think is happening. And tell me if it's not true with you because I know it's true with me my first thought. Does God ever move you in situations to remove your and my self-reliance? Has anybody ever noticed that? He puts me in situations. Let me back up so I can explain, at least for me, and some of you might be able to relate to this. I'm a very self-reliant person. Anybody like that? The way I grew up made me this way, plus my personality style made me this way. But I grew up in a world where I'm very resourceful, and I had to be very resourceful because of what I grew up in. As I studied my issues within my dysfunction, family of origin, this was one of the big things, very resourceful. It's a good thing. 
until it's not a good thing. Because God wants to break us down at certain points in a good way to remove our self-reliance. Because if we're self-reliant all the time, then we begin to think like Abraham and Sarah, maybe this is the way God meant it, right? And then we make big mistakes. Now, Sunday, I didn't get to finish my message. I had 10 more minutes to go in that message. I had that much more. And it's a good thing I stopped, huh? But I was going to share with you that the Abraham and Sarah story, but I'll just say it real quick here. Not, this is not what I was going to share on Sunday, but this part. But they made the big mistake because they thought, well, this is the way God's going to do it. And of course, Ishmael is born through Hagar, the, the maidservant. And for those who don't know, the reason why there's trouble in the Middle East right now is because of that moment in time 3,900 years ago. Because she, they took the maidservant Hagar, it was not God's will, it was the child of the flesh, Ishmael, and Ishmael is the father of all the Arab nations. And it said, in the, it said that he persecuted the promised child, Isaac, because God eventually brought the child through, through, the, through a miraculous birth, but you, now you find all the problems in the Middle East today because of that moment in time. Because they chose to do that instead of choosing God's will. Now, let's talk about self-reliance. Have you ever faced a situation where you don't even know what to do? I don't know how I'm going to fix this. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how this is going to resolve. But I'm talking bigger than that, where it made you feel weak. It made you feel powerless. And you hate to feel that way, don't you? Anybody hate to feel that way besides me? I hate it. I'll tell you one. I've never shared the story on Sunday, but some of you might have been here when I did say it in the situation. This is probably 10 years ago. And um, it had probably gone on, I think, 10 months, 11 months, but nobody knew except the leaders, staff. And it was probably like about three years after the crash, maybe after the crash of 09. But our tithing started to go like this month after month. Down down, down, down. We cut costs. We eliminate things. Every, we just cut and cut and cut. And, and then finally, we just couldn't cut anymore. And then finally, I told the staff, we all got to take a 10% pay cut. There's no choice now. And I hated telling them that. Because as a leader, you feel like I failed everybody. I failed them all. And I felt like weak. And like I couldn't fix the problem. And I remember I was sitting in my backyard. It was, a, it was one of the worst weeks for me. And I was sitting in my backyard and I was talking to God and I said, I, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. God, what, what's going on? And I remember he dropped these thoughts in my mind. He said, you need to tell the people what's going on. Now, that sounds really good on, in your mind, right? But it also, to say it out loud, is like, Tell them how weak you are and how you couldn't lead this church. That's the way I was interpreting, right? Because I always thought I could make things happen. And I've had a, quite a few of these times that I couldn't make it happen and destroyed my self-reliance. He says, tell the people. Tell the people what's going on. Okay, I'll tell the people. And I remember I, after, it was after a message on Sunday morning. And I said, okay, I want to talk to everybody. And I shared everything that was going on. And I said, we can't cut anymore. I've already, t you know, for 10 months this has happened and I told the staff 10% pay cuts and this and that. And I told everybody. I said, 
I'm just letting you know. And man, after I shared with everybody, our, our ties went vroom. And I had people, many, many people pull me aside after services and say, I am so sorry. We quit tithing X amount of time ago. Then person, I'm so, I'm so ashamed that I quit tithing and you guys had to take pay cuts. I, and man, it was all over the place. It was all over the place. But what, was, what I was so afraid of because I thought it's going to make me look like I'm such a failure and so weak and I don't like that turned out to be the greatest thing because I had to rely on what God told me to do. And it's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to be the leader that could lead us out of this thing. But it wasn't going to happen that way. And so I finally had to drop my guard and say, okay, God, it's going to be your way. And you know what? Some of the best things that ever happened in our life when we realize that Jordan River is flowing so hard and so wide, I can't cross it. I don't know how to cross it. And so, God, you've got to show me how to cross it. You're the one who has to do the miracle because I can't, get it. I can't get it there. And for some of us in this room, you have to remember that at times God brings you to the obstacle in your life because you can't move the obstacle. And now your reliance upon God is now on steroids where you're fully on, waiting on him. And it's either him or it's nothing. Amen to that one right there? That's my first thought. My second thought is really a question within this one. And I'm going to ask you this question. Do obstacles create in you a dependence or a depression? That's a big question, is it not? Do they create a dependence where I believe that God can take me through at some point, God's going to open the door so I have an anticipation? Or do I go into a depression, go into a downer, go into a bummer? Which way do I go? And remember, how many days are they going to sit there and stare at the Jordan River? Three days. Three is the number of what? It's both the number of God and the number of resurrection. So now you insert that in the mix of everything, and now you begin to understand now that there's going to be some kind of God resurrection type miracle take place in that, in that moment, right? And that's what you have to believe, because you can either get depressed or you can trust and you can believe God. Can you imagine, question, how do you think the disciples felt when they saw Jesus die on the cross? It's over, guys. It's done. It's finished. They go hide in that room. Then they go back to their nets. It's done. But three days, number of three again, God, resurrection, Jesus comes back from the dead. The women come there, and they go tell all the guys, hey, he's alive. And of course, they don't believe the women whatsoever when that happens, but he's alive. Now, let me give you something that I learned decades ago that helps me so much. It's, I wish I would have wrote in your notes, but I didn't. I'm so sorry. So I'm going to just say it. You can write it down if you want to. There comes vision, right? You get vision, right? Yes or no? But after you get vision from God, there comes death of vision. It's like, what happened? You can't make it happen. It's not going to happen. But after death of vision and time... There comes, after that, thirdly, supernatural resurrection of that vision, God's way. And I have found that that's the way God always does it. Because if he doesn't do it that way, I'll go in there and I'll mess it up. So there's vision, there's death of vision, there's supernatural resurrection. 
Jesus gives vision to the disciples. He dies, death of vision, three days later, supernaturally resurrected. That's a principle in all of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And so whenever you get in the midst of death of vision, don't worry. It just means that God is going to supernaturally resurrect what that vision was, and he's going to do it his way, because, only, because you want him to fulfill it his way. And when he fulfills that vision, remember, he brought you out of something to bring you into something. Amen to that one? And so always that one. Always remember that one. Now, verse 3. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Bullet point. God encourages our faith by going before us. It's the ark, it's going to lead the way across the Jordan into the promise. The ark is going to go ahead of them. Now this is something that um, missionaries understand. A missionary is taught and they thus understand that they're not bringing God to a foreign land. God's already there. Jesus is already there. So they're just going there to meet Jesus and to partner with them to spread this gospel. But they're not bringing Jesus because Jesus is, he's, he's, you know, he's the ruler of the universe. He's already there. And so God is always ahead of every one of us. He's supplying and he's doing what's needed for us to get somewhere. Do you remember when Joseph has the dream that Jesus, you got to get him out of Israel and take him to Egypt. Remember that? He's just a toddler. But do you remember how wealthy or not wealthy the family was? When they came for the purification time to present the child, they presented the two turtle doves as their offering. That meant they're dirt poor. They've got nothing, my friends. That's the family Jesus grew up in. So the question is, where, how do they have the means to go to flee to Egypt and to survive and to live there. How do they have that? You back up in the story. And remember, these magi came from Persia, right? And what did they bring? Gold, frankincense and myrrh. They brought gold. And so here God supplies the gold. He supplies the money to the family, and the family not knowing that they'll have to flee to Egypt, and they don't have the money, but now they have the money, because God supplied it ahead of time. God always goes ahead of all of us. Amen to that one? Now, next bullet point. Don't get stuck in old methodologies. Don't get stuck in old methodologies. Now, this is one that if you can learn it young, boy, it's going to save you so much heartache in life. And, that, and that's this. Um, the ark now is going to travel ahead of them across the Jordan. When they, when they promise them. Question. Where did the ark travel before? Now it's going to travel out in front. All through the desert, where did the ark travel? In the middle of them. In their midst. Okay. All through the desert, who carried the ark through the desert? The sons of Koath. Into the promised land, who's going to carry the ark? The Levite. The Levitical priests are. The tribe of Levi. So all of a sudden, God changes the methodology. Now, in, in church, in business, whatever it is, I'll use church because that's the one I know best, is that the message never changes, correct? But you've got to change the methodologies at times 
to be able to reach and to do effective ministry. Amen? Now, business is no different. Uh, I could throw a lot out there, but I'll just throw this one out. Where's, blo- where's the blockbuster in Corona? It's long gone, right? used to be on Lincoln and Six, but it's long gone. Now, why is Blockbuster long gone? Now, we still watch movies, right? Because I'm a movie guy. We still watch movies. But their methodology of tapes, no, do people use it? Well, hopefully you don't use them. But anyway, um, but do most people use those anymore? No. Now, what if you sat behind that counter in your business or church or whatever, and I'm going to sell, I'm going to rent out tapes, movies, VHS tapes to people. That's it. I'm not changing my methodology. Would anybody come? And the answer is what? No. Because what don't they make anymore? Well, the tapes, yeah, but got me on that one. But, but the recorder, right? You can wait there all your life, but society has moved past that. Now you have online streaming. You have all those things. So you've got to change your methods. But, you, you know, the message doesn't change. They, we still have movies, but you change the methodology. And some businesses and churches get stuck in old ways and they can't change. One of the things, like for churches, is that if you don't have an online ability and presence, you lose, man. You lose so much because this is a big deal nowadays. And I told you before, when COVID hit, we were fortunate to have a lot of young staff who knew exactly what to do. They put on some of the best stuff, man. It was incredible what they did. Because as I told you before, it would be me with a phone saying, okay, I'm going to video this, and that'd be it right there. But their ability to adjust with the, with the methods of today, and we have a really strong online presence, real strong presentation of the online presence. It, it's great. But you have to change the methodology. God changed the methodology. He moves the ark to the front from the middle, from the sons of Kohath to the Levites, carrying it into the promised land. Now, here we go. i got two points. The first one is this. To walk in faith and not unbelief, keep your eyes on Jesus. In verse 3, he says, when you see the ark of the covenant, of the Lord your God, you're going to follow it when you see it. When there are giant obstacles in our life, one of the hardest things is to keep our eyes on Jesus, isn't it? It's one of the most difficult things because the obstacles are like the wind and the waves as Peter's walking on the water. You can't help but look at the obstacles and think, oh my gosh. And it's one of the hardest things to keep my eyes on Jesus. But do you know that all through Scripture, you find this concept and this idea, it's a law of reoccurrence, um, that you keep your eyes on God. You keep your eyes on Jesus. Do you remember in Numbers chapter 21, remember when the, the poisonous snakes were biting the Israelites? And they're dying. And in Numbers 21, Moses says, okay, God, what do we do? And God says, you need, go get bronze and form a bronze snake, put it up on the top of a stick, and you have it up there, and, and uh, have people, if they get bit by this poisonous snakes, have them look at that bronze snake, and they'll live. And they'll live. It will neutralize the poison in their system. But you've got to look at them. Now think about that. And by the way, this is what Jesus, when he quotes in John 3 to Nicodemus, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so Jesus, in a sense, that's a typology. That's a Jesus picture in the Old Testament. But you've got to look to him. You've got to look in faith to him. Now, here's the thing. 
you can't just look at the, at, the, at the bronze serpent. If you really think about it, if you look at it, you've got to really believe that that thing's, you're going to be healed if you look at it, right? You've got to really believe that's what God says. So there's a matter of faith right there that you, that you believe God. But you've got to keep your eyes on that. The New Testament writer says that keep fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the, and, and the finisher of our faith. And so the big deal is we keep our eyes on Jesus, whatever the obstacle is, because Jesus can remove the obstacles that are standing in our way. Number two in your notes, and that's this. To walk in faith, live the word of God. To walk in faith, live the word of God. Now, in verse three, we found it here called the Ark of the Covenant. Question, what's inside the Ark? What did God tell them to put inside that Ark? Ten Commandments? Aaron's staff and the manna, the showbread, the manna. Aaron's staff, because remember Aaron's staff that budded? It was a dead stick, and it budded and put, brought forth almonds. came alive, proving that he's the Levitical priest. The showbread is put in there. But the Ten Commandments are also placed in, inside of there. Now think about that. You have to follow the ark, and inside the ark is the word of God. That's, that's a very interesting thing. Now watch, it gets even more intense than that. Uh, look back at, uh, just a few pages back to your left. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31, and look at verse 26. It says, Take this book of the law and place it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may remain there as a witness against you. Now, not only is the, are the Ten Commandments inside the Ark of the Covenant, but now you find that the whole book of the law, all the laws of the Old Testament, are sitting there right next to the Ark. In other words, you cannot separate the presence of God, the Ark, from the Word of God. Let me say it again. You cannot separate the presence of God from the Word of God. Now, l- let me say it like this, because this, this is something that I feel very passionate about. Um... When they leave Egypt, this, they're, they're a new nation, brand new. And they get to Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up to the mountain. And what happens to the people down there in the valley? What do they start doing? Man, they get into all kinds of sin. They first think, Mo, that Moses is dead. And so they tell Aaron, hey, make us a, make us a, a god to go before us. He makes a golden calf because that's what they had in, the, in Egypt, but that was one of their gods. And then, they, then the whole thing breaks out in sin and everything else. Now, think about them. What don't they have yet? Because Moses is up on the mountain. They don't have any laws. They have nothing, nothing to govern their lives by. And so when they don't have any laws to govern their lives by, that's when people, them, and anybody, starts to be led by their impulses, by what they think, by what they feel. They have no laws. Any nation that doesn't have the laws will now be led by impulses, by what they think and what they feel because there's no guiding light. There's no law to guide them. Do nations need laws? You better believe they need laws. But they also need people, police, to enforce laws. Otherwise, laws are a waste of time. So you have to have these things in place. Now, we're we're watching a lot of lawlessness in our country. Right now, we, and we all know, no, 
I don't know how anybody could not see that right now. And what used to shock us, watches like, that doesn't shock us anymore because this is happening everywhere. You're watching depravity just grow and grow and grow. So it's because these, they're coming and they're, they're changing laws with what they feel and what they think. Well, you can't do that. You have to have real laws to be able to govern a nation. Now, Moses brings the laws down from Mount Sinai. They put the Ten Commandments in the ark. They put the rest of the law next to the ark. And that ark is going to lead them into the promised land. So if you think about all that's happening, it's one of the things God is saying is, you're going to go in there and you're going to be the nation of Israel and this is going to be your land. But guess what's going to guide you? It's going to be my laws. It's going to be the things I've said. Now, let me say this, because sometimes people say this, and I go, no, that's not quite true. People say, this is a Christian nation. That's not a Christian nation. It's a a good nation, but it's not a Christian nation. Now, are our laws built upon God's word and many of the Judeo-Christian? Absolutely it is. And that's why these are really, really good things. I think that's why God blessed our, our, our country. But, for, for a society to grow and flourish, you've got to have laws. Now, they're going in, and God brings us in. And here's, here's some of the, here's what I, maybe I think about it too much, but here's what, what I see as a danger. The presence of God is going in. The laws are going in with them, and you have to obey those laws. God told Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. And be careful to do everything in that book. Because if you do everything in there, I'm going to make you prosperous, I'm going to make you successful. So we know the opposite is true. Okay. But here's the danger. They go in there, and they're going in to conquer, right? Right? They're going to conquer, and that's what they're going in to do. But the problem with conquerors is it can go to a conqueror's head. That's always the problem. It can go to a conqueror's head. The conqueror can be governed by cravings, by what they feel or what they think, by bitterness, by anger, by ancient grievances, by all kinds of things. And that becomes dangerous for the country. That becomes dangerous for the nation. Do you remember when the Magi came to town in Jerusalem And what it said about Herod, that Herod was troubled because this king was in town. But do you remember what it said about that too? It said, and all the people were troubled too. Because Herod was not a moral man. He wasn't governed by any laws. He was a law unto himself. And that's always the danger of any leadership, anybody in leadership, that you can become this this conqueror if you're not guided by the word of God. So you want the presence of God and the Word of God working together. Now, I I say it a lot and I'll say it again that now we find ideologies that are just trying to invade everywhere and it makes us very uncomfortable. Any amens on that one? It's invading our schools. It's invading government. It's invading everywhere. I mean, I worry about the schools for my grandkids. Anybody with me on that? So these ideologies are coming in and they're not biblical whatsoever. Not at all. I mean, nothing about them is biblical. Nothing about them is right. And what drives me a little bit batty 
is that they, are, they always say to us Christians, don't try to legislate morality, right? But that's all they do is legislate immorality. And that's all they do. That's all they do. Now, so as with Herod, it becomes trouble for the people. Now for us, it can be trouble for us because of all these ideologies coming in and being pushed and everything else. Now, am I worried? Like overwhelmingly worried? No, I'm not because I know that Jesus said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, right? So I have to rely on the word of God, the presence of God and the word of God. I have to know this is what's true even though I'm watching this encroachment come where it's a becoming a more lawless and lawless society uh, that we're living in. I mean, haven't, has anybody here in this room even thought about what they're saying on the news that they're, and we talked earlier, about that there's potentially cells in America now Hamas cells, has anybody heard those things? They make you a little bit kind of edgy right there? Yeah, these are possibilities now because you have all these different ideologies coming in and so because our nation is not governed by the ways it used to be governed, it's just gradually moving, 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 but we need to move back, 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 back to the Word of God. Do I think we'll move back to the Word of God fully? I'm not sure. I don't think so. But I don't know. I don't know. But I do know what God says. I know he said, you go and follow that ark. And all the obstacles. And all the enemies. And all the false ideologies. You keep your eyes on Jesus. And you make sure you, you stick with the word of God, with the presence of God. You keep your eyes on that no matter what happens, no matter what's going on. And you just watch what I'm going to do. Do we need laws in this country? Yeah, we need laws. But you know what? I don't know where it's going. I don't know how it's going to all end. But I know that God's word is true and heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away, Jesus said. And so I trust that and I believe that no matter what, no matter what happens. Because as a nation, as a person, I need laws to govern my life. And this book of the law shall not depart from my mouth, but I shall meditate on it day and night. And I'll be careful to do everything that's written in there to the best of my ability. And God will make my way prosperous. And God will make me successful. And he will for you. And he will for you no matter the circumstances. And I trust that. And I believe that. And I focus and I keep my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. God says you follow that ark and you take that word of God with you and you let that govern your life. You let that govern your nation. And if you do that, a good thing's gonna happen. And if you don't, you're gonna suffer some consequences. And that's the way it's always gonna be. Amen? Okay, let's pause right there. Lord God, we do need good laws in America. And we have a lot of good laws. But some of these things are being bent. Some of these things are being loosened and chained, changed. But I do pray for my country, God. Restore some things here. But God, for all of us in this room, whatever obstacle you face right now that seems insurmountable, impassable, just know that God is creating a self-reliance in you. Know that God is going to do some kind of miracle. You're in the death of a vision right now, possibly. 
But God can supernaturally resurrect that vision. And he's going to do it his way, not your way or my way. But all I do is just trust and believe, and I don't grow in disappointment, and I, don't get, I do not enter into depression. I don't get bummed out. I sit in anticipation that, God, you're going to do something. You're going to do something, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you're that kind of God who cares about us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I pray your blessings upon everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.